an appropriate song for this morning. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for the truth of that song, the truth from your word. Pray you'd help everybody to be focused on your word now for the next little bit. Help us to grow in grace and choose to partner with you in this area of world missions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at our text of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, are two of the most complete chapters in the Bible when it comes to giving, Christian giving. Now, some people get confused because the the main thrust of these two chapters is not the giving of the tithe. It is free will offerings. Remember, there are four types of giving in the Bible. Alms, tithe, free will offering, and grace giving. And so we're going to talk about two of those today, but these focus on uh, the free will offering, and then when the free will offering becomes grace giving, the focus of these two chapters. If you read back in the the beginning of chapter 9, if you look at verse 1, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you, superfluous just means unnecessary, For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. They had already been very generous. They had helped other Christians in need. And the Apostle Paul had even bragged on them for their generosity to the folks there in Macedonia. Now, in verse, excuse me, chapter 8, we won't take time to look at it, but the churches in Macedonia had given a tremendous gift in spite of their own poverty and affliction. They had given sacrificially to others when they were in great need themselves, and they did this, the Bible explains, because they first had given themselves to the Lord. You know, if you have a problem when the preacher talks about giving or when you read the Bible talking about giving... It's usually because you haven't given yourself to the Lord, right? Everything I have belongs to God. Nothing that I have is truly mine. That's the whole concept of stewardship in the Bible. We are taking care of things that don't belong to us. If you let me borrow your car, you don't want me to drive it like I stole it, right? You want me to drive it like it's your car that I borrowed and maybe even give it back to you a little nicer, fill up the gas tank, give it a quick wash, vacuum it out. You you don't want me to bring it back with dents and scrapes and back seat full of fast food wrappers and and all that kind of stuff. Maybe a Slurpee spilled on the the, the passenger seat. That's not cool. And God is saying that the whole idea of Christian stewardship is we are managing things that don't belong to us. They belong to God. He's giving us the ability to manage them on his behalf. And so these Macedonians, they understood that. Not just my my money, my time, my talent, my treasure, my testimony, not just those things belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. And of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that when we get born again, we put our faith in Christ, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are his in body and spirit because he purchased us through salvation. And so the first step of getting over this kind of bristling whenever the preacher talks about giving or the Bible talks about giving is realizing it's not mine anyway, right? Now, for those of you that don't know us very well, 
I am not a televangelist, right? I'm not up here every Sunday asking you for money. We don't end every service with a, a plea or a commercial. I'm not up here selling handkerchiefs. I've prayed over, you know, that if you buy one for three easy installments of $19.99, it'll, it'll take care of all your ills. We're, we're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. But we do, as a church and as a preacher, I have to remind the church occasionally of our responsibility to give. Let me ask you this question in general. In general, who are the more happy group of people? Are selfish people happy or are unselfish people more happy? Which do you think? Unselfish. Matter of fact, selfishness is a guaranteed way to be unhappy. As soon as you believe that the world should revolve around you, you've basically guaranteed your own unhappiness because it doesn't, right? And so you spend the rest of your life getting offended because the world's not revolving around you. Same thing, I often tell children, I often tell teenagers, I have to remind adults sometimes, selfishness equals unhappiness. Matter of fact, the Greek word for selfishness actually has the idea of self-hell. It's automated hell. It's like whenever I get selfish, I am in this hellish pattern of constant suffering because I'm never going to get everything I think I want, need, and deserve. And so selfishness in general is a terrible thing. It destroys marriages, it wrecks families, it tears up churches, it's bad for countries and communities. That's the, the Christian way, just in general, is unselfishness. Amen? That's what Christ taught us. And so when it comes to giving, we've got to understand that giving is fundamental to Christianity itself. Our, our salvation began with God so loving the world that he gave. He gave what? His only begotten son. He didn't give us his leftovers. He gave us his absolute best. And Christ gave his life, left heaven, came down here to live amongst his creation. 33 plus years on this earth only to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, First, uh, Philippians chapter 2 reminds us. And so our, our entire Christianity, our entire faith is based on generosity, unselfishness, and sacrifice. So is it any wonder that God tells his people, I expect you to be generous, I expect you to be unselfish, I expect you to sacrifice for the needs of others. Now, the good news about God is we don't all have to take a, a vow of poverty. Amen? We don't all have to uh, just give all of our stuff away and live on breadcrumbs and stale water. No, God is very generous himself. So he gives us so much. And he asks for so little in return compared to our blessings. Did you know that just being an American... You are more wealthy than most of the world. The poorest Americans are more wealthy than most of the world. We are very blessed. I don't know if there's anybody here that went without food this morning because you didn't have any or didn't have any money. And if you did, I got a protein bar in my office. I'll split with you. Amen. Jesus would give it all, but I'm not there yet. I'll, I'll split it with you. <laughs> maybe maybe 70-30, right? <laughs> we, got, um, we got clothes on our backs. Most of us have vehicles to drive around in. 
most of us, if you want something this week, you're going to get it. Most of us will get a random coffee or random this or random that. Nobody here is going to be foraging through trash cans and sleeping outside in a box or under a tree. Very blessed. And the wonderful thing about God is he's so generous that he lavishes gifts upon us and he asks for so little in return, but he does ask for sacrifice. And that word scares us. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's teaching the Corinthians that, man, the, the Macedonians, they sacrificed. He said, I don't even know how they gave what they gave. And that, my friend, is grace giving. Grace giving is giving beyond your ability because you're allowing God to give through you. So alms is giving to the personal needs you see around you. The tithe is 10% of your increase. A free will offering is anything you want to give over and above the tithe. But grace giving is when you say, God, I want to give more than I'm able. So I'm going to try to be a channel a channel that you can give through me. And it's a wonderful truth. The Macedonians here <clears throat> had given substantial amount in spite of their poverty and affliction. Paul was bringing some of these Macedonians to Corinth, <clears throat> and he didn't want the Corinthians to be embarrassed because they weren't prepared to give a gift. And so he's telling them ahead of time, get your gift ready. <clears throat> now it's a free will gift, but get your gift ready. You're not embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed, and you can have part in this, in this wonderful ministry of giving to others. <clears throat> and that's what we find in verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. So the Apostle Paul saying, this isn't a pride thing. <clears throat> this isn't, I want you to give so that people think good of you. It has to do with your bounty. It has to do with the gift you want to give. I'm just trying to prepare you so that you know to give what you want to give and you're not caught off guard. We find in verse 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Of course, the harvest is in direct proportion to the planting. And then verse 7, the free will offering, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Remember, the free will offering is all about, I've already given God what belongs to him, now I get to decide what I want to give. And in the Old Testament, the free will offerings were given for praise to God, for worship to God, for thanking God. If somebody got a tremendous blessing, they would give an extra offering just to thank God. And, and all of these things to, to show their commitment to God. And so this free will offering is a very powerful thing. But it has to do with how you purpose in your heart. But then the only instruction here is don't give it grudgingly or of necessity. Don't give it because you have to. Don't give it while you're grumbling. Why? For God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, practice this. The next time you put money in the plate, smile while you do it. Smile. Now, some of you do this. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't do that. Some of you are like, uh, <laughs> you know, and you're trying to force it in there. Uh, no, you give because you want to. Because the free will offering has to do with the heart. 
Now, we can apply the truths found in chapters 8 and 9 to our responsibility to give towards world missions. So today, I'm going to take the next few minutes we have, and I'm going to explain to you the concept of faith promise missions. Now, I confess to you, for a long time, I didn't know what faith promise missions was. I first heard of it when I was uh, probably 17, 18 years old, and I didn't know what it was. Those words didn't seem to go together to me. Faith, promise, missions, giving, how does all of this work? I don't understand it. But then, as I became aware of the concept and, and what it meant, I was, I was enthralled by the beauty of it. It's such a simple but beautiful concept that allows me to partner with God. And I pray that you'll love it too after you understand it. And so the tithe, as we talked about, is the first and most important type of giving. It's 10% of all our increase. The tithe is the Lord's. The Bible says it belongs to God. We don't choose to give it. We simply choose whether to obey or not obey. But once we give the tithe, then we can give a free will offering. And, and in, in New Testament times, one of the most common forms of free will offerings was giving towards missions, giving extra money so that God's word could be taken around the world. I was convicted by this thought. Many believers give pennies to missions while living lavishly compared to the rest of the world. You know, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to not be able to pay my bills. I know what it's like to wonder at certain times in my life uh, if we were going to be able to stay in the apartment or if we were going to be able to have food at the end of the week. I know what it's like to have my power turned off. We've all struggled at times. Uh, and when you struggle, you pray to God, and it's okay to accept a little bit of help, right? Some people are looking for a hand out, but others are looking for a hand up. And I don't mind giving people a hand up when they need it. But the truth is, I'm thankful at this stage in my life, I'm not in that place. I drive a nicer car than, than I probably should, but it's because God worked it out. I couldn't afford it. God just did this crazy thing, and now I've got this nice car. I live in a nicer house than than uh, I would expect to. But God just worked that out. And the Parsons has become one of the most, uh, one of the best investments this church has made in the 20 years I've been here as far as increase in value and such. Uh, you know, God, when, when you give yourself to God, He will lavish you with gifts. We've just got to be careful not to get so comfortable that we forget to keep giving back. Think about this statement, and this statement will cause many American Christians to bristle, but I want you to hear it, and I want you to, to think about it. All the money that comes to you is not for you. All the money that comes to you is not for you. What if God is trying to give you more than you need so you can give it to someone else who needs it more than you, right? So what we tend to do is as God increases our wealth, 
we raise our standard of living, right? And God increases our wealth, and we raise our standard of living. And God increases, and we raise our standard of living. The truth is, you could make three times as much as you did 20 years ago, and, and we're still broke. <laughs> Why? Because we keep raising our standard of living. I knew, I knew a businessman one time, he said, you know, if I could just get a million dollars, I'd be okay. Well, just a million dollars, if I could have a thousand, I'd be okay. You know, and somebody else says, if I could have 500, I'd be okay. And somebody else says, if I could have 50, I'd be okay. But here's a guy who is, is so far ahead in life, man, that he got behind again. If I just had a million dollars, I could get out of this. Folks, we've got to understand that you're never going to turn the corner because if we keep taking everything that God gives us, we are strangling ourselves rather than being the, the conduit that God wants us to be. So we must become a channel or a conduit for God to give through us. And that's an encouragement to us. By the way, it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. I didn't believe that for a long time. As a young Christian, I thought, man, it's far better to, to get than give. But no, when, when I finally learned this lesson, man, there is nothing like giving and filling the needs of people. And sometimes it could be five bucks. I've seen people break down and cry because they were struggling, and I took a 20 out of my wallet and said, go buy your family a pizza and just forget about your problems for tonight and enjoy a good pizza and a man crying in front of me because that was such a blessing. And that 20 just would have been sitting in my wallet. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive because all the money that comes to us is not for us. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be wise. I think you should live by a budget. I think you should save money. I think you should plan for your retirement. I think all of those things. But what you'll find is whenever you give yourself to God, the matter of giving, God will over and above give to you and lavish upon you even more so. Let's talk about this briefly. What is faith promise missions giving? Here's a definition. A faith promise commitment is an offering given by faith above the tithe to support worldwide missions. So let me give you a couple thoughts here as we go along. Number one, realize God has entrusted you with the gospel. God has entrusted you with the gospel. Listen, if you are born again, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you call yourself a true Christian, then you have the truth inside of you. You know how, how someone can, can go to heaven when they die. If you're listening here today or online and you're not sure you're going to heaven, man, you need to stop everything and you need to get this thing settled. Because according to the Bible, uh, without Christ, we are sinners, we are dead in our sin, we are one heartbeat away from hell, we are reserved for destruction. But thanks be to God, God in all of His love sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for our sin. Christ was buried. He rose again the third day, proving His victory over sin, that death had no more dominion. And the one who defeated death now says, if you trust me, your soul will never die. This old body will die one day, and good riddance. It is corrupt. It hurts. The older you get, I hurt in places I didn't even know I had five years ago. And, and the, the older you get, the worse it gets. This old body is breaking down just like a car with 300,000 miles on it. It ain't going to last forever. But good riddance because the person who is Paul Chapman, my soul will never die. Why? 
because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. So if you're not born again, today is the day to be saved. But if you are born again, you've got to realize God's entrusted you with the gospel. You have the truth. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Did you see it? We've been, put, we've been given the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. That's why we tell others the gospel is because we don't want to betray this holy trust. So when it comes to faith promise missions, we've got to understand, number one, God has entrusted us with the gospel. Number two, we are commanded to spread the good news both in our community and around the world at the same time. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We are commanded to spread the good news both in our community and around the world at the same time. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. What's the next word? Both. The word both means at the same time. So we're supposed to be witnesses to God at the same time in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So if you think of these as concentric circles around where you live, so Judea would be where you live, your community, and then a little bit further out from your community, and then regionally, and then the whole world. We're supposed to be helping spread the gospel everywhere at the same time. How do we do that? We do it by being faithful to give the gospel where we live and by supporting others to go where we can't, right? And so as, as we support missionaries, right now our church is getting out the gospel at the same time. We, we get the gospel out this week, but at the same time we're all over New England. We're, we're all over the world giving out the gospel through the people we are supporting as missionaries. You understand when a missionary goes to a foreign field, they can't get a job and work. They can't support themselves. In most countries, it's against the law for an American to go to a poorer country and work. And so they have to be supported. And what a blessing it is for us to support them. Number three, the local church supports worthy missionaries to preach Jesus Christ in foreign lands on our behalf. Listen to Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I had called them. So here, the Holy Spirit came to Barnabas and Saul and said, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to go to, to a different place to take the gospel. The churches there got together and supported them so they could take the gospel away from where they were. And then along the way, as they traveled, churches and Christians would support them because their a full-time job was to get out the gospel. And so in our day and age, missionaries go on deputation. They've been called of God. They go on deputation. They come here and they present their ministry, the location, the burden, their plan. And then we get to decide as a church, do we want to take these people on for support and help them help finance the work they are doing? There's a good missionary. been on the church 17 years. He's going to be here in March with his family. He's been in Guadalajara, Mexico for 17 years. Needs some extra support. Got a proven track record. I would love for our church to say, we're going to have an influence in Guadalajara, Mexico, thousands of miles from here, as that dear man and his family preaches Jesus. 
See, that's how it works. We deputize them. They become our deputies representing our church and other churches to the gospel. The Davis's son is, is in a difficult part of the world, doing a great job, dangerous part of the world. They were telling me they go out uh, a soul winning, and sometimes they'll have to go to a different area because the police or the military are out in the neighborhood where they were going to go. Man, what, what a wonderful thing to be able to support a work like that. Number four, and this is so important, God is looking for people he can trust to funnel money through to missionaries. So remember, all the money that comes to me is not for me. We must become a channel for God to give through us. Most people spend money as it comes in with no thought of God's plans. Here's an important question. Can God trust you or us with money to pass along to other people or projects? What if I've got a little extra and somebody next to me doesn't know where the next meal's coming from? Can God trust me to help with that situation? And so we become a conduit. The hymn channels only reminds us that Christians should be channels of God's blessing to the world around us. Number five, and this is what's so cool about Faith Promise Missions, ask the Lord what amount he would like to give through you to missions this year. So rather than just look at my budget and say, well, I can comfortably give this much, or, or just say, well, this number sounds good. One reason why I like Faith Promise Missions is it's so personal. So we pray to the Lord, Lord, what would you like me to give this year? And then you wait for an answer. Now, you're not going to hear God's voice audibly, but what you will hear is a small, still voice in your heart and a number. About this much. And usually when God tells me, I go, mm, how much? <laughs> because a lot of times God will wants us to give more than we think we can. Why? Because ultimately, if we, if we get into this grace giving, it's not us giving it, it's him giving it through us. You see the difference? So, we might need to reevaluate our spending habits. Think about this. Do you spend more money eating out every month than you do on the Great Commission? Maybe you could eat out half as much and take half of that money and give it to missions. Here's one that, that convicts me. A missionary asked this many years ago. And I've never forgotten it. He was preaching and he said this. Do you spend more on your cable bill than you give to see souls saved around the world? I got 457,000 high definition channels. <laughs> you know, and you watch like six. You know? It, it's challenging. But we might need to reevaluate some things and even give some of that. But here's another idea I like. The way I look at Faith Promise Missions is we begin to pray down extra money. What if you did this? If you said, Lord, I'm absolutely broke. But every month, all the extra money you give me up to a certain amount, I will give to you. And what you're going to find is money is going to come from places you never expected it. You're going to get an extra 20 here, 
extra 30 here, maybe an extra 50 here. And what happens is when that money comes in, instead of saying, oh, yeah, good, now I can go buy, you're going to be excited and say, oh, man, God's answering my prayer so I can give this to him because now it's his money up to a certain amount. And this gives Christians an opportunity to live by faith. So number six, we commit that amount. We commit to give that amount and turn in a commitment card. And this is between us and the Lord, but I'm going to trust the Lord for this month. We've had teenagers before that didn't have a job, so I'm going to give $5 a month. And they just pray down that $5 every month. You know, it's good to get your family together, and maybe, maybe your children are like, I want to give, you know, help them. Say, they're like, I want to give $100 a month. And you're like, well, probably not. And, uh, but but may, maybe that uh, 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old could give a quarter a month. And they could probably find that in the couch cushions every month, right? But it's something they can do. Uh, and a blessing. Let's finish up. Number seven, God blesses generous giving. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we finish. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is exciting to me because it's not me trying to figure out how to give more. It's me partnering with God and God giving it through me. And that's a wonderful blessing. All right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able. Hey, just stop right there. Isn't that good? God is able. Just, just rest in that for a while. Man, I don't know, I don't know how to pay my bills. I don't know, I don't know what my job's going to look at. I don't know what this is going to look at. I don't know what, what, what my future holds. God is able. But here specifically, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. What is grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is the power of God to do His will, the supernatural enabling to do what He's asked us to do. So I don't know about you, but I could use some grace. But notice that this is in context of giving. When we choose to give, verse 7, bountifully, or verse 6, bountifully, when we choose to, to give, verse 7, cheerfully, then God is able to make all a base of ground, grace abound toward who? Toward you. Why? That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. What's he saying? If you partner with God and he can trust you to give through you, then he will take care of you. He is able. To more than take care of my needs as I am taking care of his needs. That makes sense to you? But this promise is in the context of giving. So our giving activates this incredible promise. Verse 10 talks about you give the seed and then God makes sure that that abounds to your food and your seed sown and your righteousness once again. You get the blessing from being the giver. Verse 11, being enriched in everything to all what? Bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. So what you find is, when you become a giver, God gives you more than you need. Now this doesn't mean that you're going to give and God's going to let you drive around a Bentley. Or you're going to give and next thing you know, you're going to be living on Ocean Road in Narragansett. 
No, what this means is, yes, God will take care of you financially, but he's going to give you the things money can't buy. What about a happy marriage? What about children that love you and respect you? What about peace and joy and feeling like there's meaning to your life? And waking up every day and feeling glad you're alive and looking in the mirror and instead of saying, I hate that guy and I hate that girl, looking in the mirror and saying, you're not everything you ought to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be and you're happy with you. (laughs) Folks, when we give, it turns on the promises of God and then instead of us grinding to take care of ourselves, we can... Trust Christ to take care of us. And sometimes it comes through unexpected places. Our family's been blessed the last couple years. We started preaching on prayer on Wednesdays and started putting in practice some of those things that we uh, knew about prayer. And we've seen God just do blessed things. Our church has seen God do wonderful things. We've had, hey, you know God's working when your insurance company sends you a refund. I got a $600 check one time from our insurance company saying you gave us too much money. As you know, that's God. I got an extra 200 bucks a couple of years ago from the IRS because you, you paid too many taxes. You know that's God. Because usually they're like, yeah, you paid too much. Too bad. You know, and they just keep it for themselves. And the insurance company's like, yeah, this sucker paid too much. We'll get him again next year, you know. But God comes through. And man, you just, there for a while, and even still, it's exciting to go get the mail. It used to be scary because the bills you get, right? There was a time in my life years ago where I told my wife we were in in such bad shape. I had hurt myself. I was self-employed. Boy, we we didn't have any money coming in. Uh, I couldn't work. Uh, we We were just married for a few years, and I told her, you don't check the mail, I'll check the mail don't answer the phone, I'll answer the phone. And there were some rough days, and I'd walk out to the mailbox and be, oh, oh, and I just, what, what can you do? But man, it, it's, it's possible for you to go to the mailbox and be like, man, I wonder if God's got something in here for me today, <laughs> you know, and uh, looking for those things. Don't underestimate the power of God to take care of you if you're willing to take care of his needs here on earth. And this is the wonderful idea of faith promise. I get to partner with God, and I say, God, how much do you want to give through me? I pray about it, I pray about it, I get a number, I pray about it again to confirm, and I say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to give this through me, And then I pray about it every day, and I stay on the lookout waiting for God to come through. And he might test your faith, and one month you get behind or one month it doesn't come in. Don't give up, because sometimes God lets it get dark right before the dawn. Amen? And boy, I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing to partner with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Pray that you'd give us faith to partner with you. And as we consider what our pledge should be for this year we pray this week lord help us and everybody gives according to their ability some can give much more than others without 
without suffering, but you wanted us all to give sacrificially. We ought to feel it when it comes to a free will offering. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, to be soul conscious, to have the lost souls of this world right on the forefront of our minds. And Lord, help us to partner with you through the missions program at Curtis Corner Baptist Church. Send us missionaries this year so we can take on some good missionaries. Help all the churches across the world preaching the gospel. Lord, the world is in great chaos. Protect them. Give them great power. Help them to see people saved. Help them to stand strong for the truth. And help us to do our part to reach the world with the gospel here at home and abroad. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'll take just a moment for an invitation. <clears throat> First order of business is is checking yourself. Are you born again? Has there been a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? You know, if you're not saved, nothing else matters. And this the rest of the message isn't even for you. The first order of business is to get your salvation nailed down, to get your sin forgiven. I wonder, <clears throat> with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder who's here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, there has been a time in my life <clears throat> I've trusted Jesus. I know I've been born again. I put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and save me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Tell me if you would lift your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I believe I've been born again. I believe I've been born again. Thank you. You may lower your hands. Wonderful sight. I wonder if there's anybody here you'd say, Preacher, to be honest with you, I don't know. Or maybe, no, I haven't been born again. No, I haven't accepted you. Or maybe I'm not sure but I'd like you to pray for me. I I won't call you out. I wouldn't embarrass you. But I do want to pray for you. If that's you, heads bowed, eyes are closed. You say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand up and let me, between me, you, and the Lord. Thank you. How many here you'd say, preacher, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek the Lord about what my 